2: Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com.
0: Hi, guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. Um, you can find me on Twitter at jim 88
1: Hi, I'm Dan, formerly of West Bromwich Albion's stats and facts fan site, baggiesfacts.com, which is taking a year out. Um, due to me pursuing other interests for the time being um, but I'm still running the Twitter account Baggies Facts um, so you can find me on there and I'm also writing for the Eagles Beak um, and hope to write for a few different websites throughout, uh, throughout the course of the season. Oh and I'm a Baggies fan.
3: Hi uh, I'm Rob Pollard I'm, I'm representing Manchester City tonight. Uh, I'm the Bleacher Report's Manchester City correspondent, and I'm also the editor of Typical City, uh,
2: an online Man City fanzine. Great. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. All right, Jim, I know it's probably pretty boring for you. Another late goal to help get you back into a match, whether it be a draw or a win, still undefeated. How long can this run continue? I don't know.
0: I'm not sure my heart can hold out that much longer watching all these games where we go 2-0 down and then come back and take at least a point from it. Um, It's slightly concerning, obviously. We'll start with the negative first because it's always good to start a podcast on the negative. we really can't defend very well at the moment, and that's going to be a serious problem. We've had quite a soft start to the season. We've not really had that. Many, we've not played a, a big team in terms of the top four. Tottenham, probably the biggest team we've played this year, and mm. obviously we did get a draw from that. But again, it was another late comeback goal. Um, so that trend isn't going to be able to last forever, and we need to kind of shore up our defensive capabilities if we're going to um, push on to the next level this year from kind of lower mid table obscurity even targeting the top half i think we're going to struggle to uh to maintain that kind of position if we're going to give teams a two-goal head start um but on the flip side we did come out second half really you know at the game we looked a lot more um composed and we made a couple of substitutions relatively early Claudio Ranieri changed things around a little bit and um, put Mark Albrighton on uh, for Gokan Inler, who's looked a little bit short of, of his best um, since he came back from the international break. I don't think playing twice with Switzerland helped him over the international break in the space of five days because I don't think he'd had a, a proper pre-season. Obviously, with the uncertainty over his contract, it took quite a long time to tie him down to a, a deal at Leicester. So I can very much imagine he's still two or three weeks behind where he should be in terms of his fitness. Um I really, you know, can't say enough about Riyad Mahrez, and I've probably said it all at least twice over in the first few weeks of the season on this show, uh, and Jamie Vardy, real kind of impact players, and the kind of players that you want when you're in a hole because they give everything, whether you're one or two nil down, their heads never drop, and they just seem to have this belief instilled in the team, which, to be fair, comes from the Nigel Pearson era. Um, we had that fight in the last 10 games of the previous season, and that's just carried forward. Um, The team hasn't changed that much, and I think there's a real core of belief within the squad that no matter who we're playing, no matter what the result at the time, we can get a positive outcome from that game. And I think the longer this unbeaten run keeps going, the more that's going to kind of swell, and it's going to take a a good kind of performance from an opposition side to knock that stuffing out of us, because we're never going to know when we're beaten. Uh, We got a penalty early in the second half, uh, the, the two goals that were conceded, I'll just touch on those briefly, pretty poor defensively. Richard Delat was probably at fault for the first goal. Um, Bojan, good to see him back actually after eight months out, but not so good to see him wheeling away and scoring 20 minutes into his comeback game. Um, and then John Walters, who we nearly signed in, in the transfer window on the last day, scored after Wes Morgan decided to play him clean through on goal with no defenders anywhere to be seen. It
2: must have hurt um, considering how, how big a Wes Morgan fan you are.
0: Yeah, oh, I'm not even going to get started on that because I, I know we've only got an hour tonight and I'm going to be here until Christmas slagging him off. So We'll we'll gloss over that for the good of the podcast and for the good of everybody else who's already heard it three times over. Um, Danny Drinkwater won as a penalty in the start of the second half, um, kind of got bundled over and he had a funny moment where he thought the foul had been given the other way and started protesting to the referee and then kind of sheepishly backed off when he realised it was a penalty, which was quite funny to watch. Um, Riyad Merez kind of dispatched that which you'd expect him to with the level of form that he's on at the moment, he thinks that every shot he's going to hit is going to go in and then we put Stoke under some real pressure Jamie Vardy had a couple of really good opportunities to level things up before he did eventually get a goal we had a couple of chances in the last few minutes Vardy had a good shot, a snapshot which went just wide kind of three minutes into injury time which would have been a real kind of kick in the stomach for for Stoke having been 2-0 up and surrendered that lead um but yeah i think 2-2 two, two, probably a fair result to be honest and we'll take that we'll move on we're now the only unbeaten team in the league which is a, a nice kind of tag to have but hopefully we can turn it into some more convincing victories rather than just kind of scraping draws at the last minute
2: yeah i've seen some uh interesting comparisons with vardy to last year's england strikers that did well like kane austin and ings Uh, Are you thinking that that's the kind of season we're looking for from Vardy or do you think this is largely down to form? I would love Vardy to have a kind of Kane breakthrough season where he gets
0: double figures. Um, I've said before, and I think the aim for him is still to push on into that 10 plus category where he can be considered a serious striker because the criticism that's always leveled against him whenever you speak to opposition fans Um, is his lack of goal-scoring prowess last year. Obviously, making it into the England squad puts you under a a big microscope. And if you're going into that squad with only five goals, Premier League goals to your name in the previous campaign, you've got a lot of um, doubters to prove wrong because everyone believes that the young English players in their team should be ahead of you, um, injury permitting, obviously. So he really needs to kind of show that he can do it on a regular basis. But you can't fault his effort so far. I think that was his fourth goal the weekend um so he's almost leveled his total from last year within six seven games so if you extrapolate that obviously he's probably not going to score 20 goals as Kane did but I'd take a kind of 15 16 season for him I think that'd be brilliant um to come from where he is because I don't think he's ever going to play better than he is at the moment so he's really got to kind of make hay and there will inevitably be a dip in form but over the season if he could get 10 15 goals i think it'd be a, a great improvement and obviously a huge
2: asset to the team as well dan this is your first appearance this season you missed the whole berahino saga with us so now we can just fast forward to the happy bits he scores at the weekend
1: yeah i think i think james has done a great job filling in for me in on the uh, one of the last podcasts and he talks a lot about the berahino saga and and the transfer window stuff um We've got to put that behind me up, up behind us now. To be honest, you know I'm not a fan of talking about transfer windows anyway. Um there, there shouldn't be going on when the season started. I agree with our manager, Tony Punis, in that regard, that the transfer window should should close before the season even starts because it just causes too much trouble. Um I'm not a big fan of the whole Sky Sports news and everyone getting all excited about deals every other day. It's just it just gets frustrating after a while. Um, and so it's good to see the back of the transfer window uh, for uh, what three or four months. Um, and of course, yeah, we we had a, a, a massive game against our local rivals, Aston Villa, um, on Saturday. <clears throat> I wasn't able to make the game, unfortunately, as I was I was flying, but I was uh, I was on the plane flying back from Europe. But it was um, a fantastic win. When you, when you look at the fact that Villa really are down there struggling, Tim Sherwood's not got them playing any football this season. Um, and and the fact that last season they used the Albion game, being a like a big local derby, as their game to try and turn it around. And we've gone there and totally shut them out. They've not really had much of a sniff at goal at all. Um, Johnny Evans, our new centre-back from Man United, has been fantastic. Um, two clean sheets with him and McCauley, following on from our draw with Southampton last week. There's just no complaints from me at the moment. We're, we're third in the league in terms of um, away games. We've seven points, three clean sheets in all three of our away games this season. There was some moaning about a point at Watford um, at Watford away last season. Um, sorry, in the uh, second game of, of the season. But if you look at how well Watford are doing, they're, they're not playing badly at all. So that, that point must be seen as a good one. Um, and so our start to the season is looking... Very good, to be honest. We've we've lost two games, um, and both of those were those those were against Chelsea and against Manchester City, which you would look at before the season starts as games that you'd expect to lose. and And if you took a point from them, it'd be a bonus. Um, and we've you know take taking eight points from from Stoke City, from Watford, from Villa, and from Southampton. Is you know it, it's a it's a good uh, it's a good achievement. So. I I'm just chuffed I'm chuffed we've beat the Villa of course because as as you know I'm I'm not the biggest fan of theirs not just because um of their close proximity to us but simply just because yeah that they they think they're a much bigger club than they are um they the fans feel that they've got this god given right to be in the top half of the league and pushing for honours every season but that right has to be earned and, and in order to do that Feeling, really, you know, should be be looking at competing with teams such as ourselves, which I haven't done year upon year, um, and so yeah, I'm I'm just a uh, happy baggy, superb win. I'm not going to talk about the goal scorer Berahino. I've, I've said his name, but I, I really don't want to talk about it because I, I will say that. Regardless of how well he does from this point going forward, the sooner we sell him, the better. I don't care how well he does. If he does well and scores goals for the benefit of the team, then that, then that's great. But I'm not I'm not going to be a hypocrite and start singing his name at matches. I'm not going to get too excited about how he does for us because he's you know he's made his bed and, and he should be lying in it to be honest. And I was when he came out and did all, all of the uh, the things he did on, on transfer deadline day and the days following. Um, I, I was quite adamant that I didn't want to see him in a baggy shirt again and we should let him rot in the reserves for a couple of years and see what that did for his career but you know of, of course the club have got an asset and, and they need to try and get money out of that asset and the only way of doing that is by allowing him to play and score goals and hopefully get a good prize for him in January or, or the following season um, Don't I'm not too fooled by his boing boing in celebration, fair play to him, he scored the goal but you know, there's too much history and there's there's too much happened for Baggy's fans to be getting overwhelmed with the fact that he scored the goal. It's great that he did, and and we've, it's great that we've got the win. But um, to be honest, I'd have been happy with Rondon and have scored the goal.
2: Yeah, are are you thinking you're going to see both of them starting together going forward? Will will the player that shall not be named be playing on the wing, or do, or do you think you're going to kind of play the two up front? Because earlier well, think, in the season, it, it seemed like people just wanted to go away from kind of having that flat four in the midfield.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be more of a transitional sort of formation. You, you can see how solid we are at the back when um, when we haven't got the ball, um, because it will then be Rondon sitting on his own up top, waiting for any pick uh, any crumbs at you know any any clearances that might come his way, um, and then Berahino and possibly McLean or McManaman on the other wing dropping back and covering and covering the right back and the left back and really making it tough in the midfield area for teams. But going forward and, and this is something that is key, we can turn that into a 4-3-3. Um, and that that's a good thing about purely soft you might be able to remember um last last season I was talking about this season and what I'd hope um and I I was hoping that we'd get some pacey wingers in that can exploit space in behind. And of course, any Pulis side isn't going to be set up to to have to play free flowing football and and try and out out you know outplay the, t- of the opposition in terms of possession. But what we are doing is sticking to our strength and purely sticking to what he knows. And we can hit teams quickly, and we can we can have slow patient build up and use the wing play and use the fact that we are playing five in midfield. Um, so I can only yeah I can see the four five one slash four three three. Being something that that Pulis does, and and maybe in home games where he feels we might be able to peg the opposition back slightly more, then maybe go to up front maybe with Rondon um, playing on his own and, and either Lambert or, or Berahino, or even a Nietzsche, should he ever be fit to play football at any point in his career again, <laughs> um, helping helping him out so. Um, I, I can only say positive things, really. McManaman's looked brilliant when he's been on the ball. We've still got Gnabry to come in, um, and he sh- he's bound to get a chance when he's uh, when he's a bit more match fit. Um, and I think him, you know, when it gets to a point, when it comes to Christmas and, and you, you're having to need, um, you're having to use, sorry, all of your squad, um, those are the kind of players that you'll be looking to, to to really do some magical things and then push on towards the end of the season. I think Gnabry... He's, he's a brilliant sign and, and, and could turn out to be our biggest one of the season, even though he's not really featured much just yet.
2: All right, thanks. And Rob, this is your first appearance this season as well. Manchester City obviously suffering a defeat to the ever-inconsistent West Ham, which we'll discuss in a little bit. Uh, but what were your thoughts on, on your window this summer and your season thus far?
3: <clears throat> I thought the window um, was executed very well. I mean... Since Cheeky Bagiristan became the sporting director of the club, City have tended to uh, to do the business nice and early, which always helps a manager. I mean, I remember um, the summer of 2013 when Pellegrini first came in, and with the ex- exception of uh, Demichelis, who was signed um, quite late in the window, all of City's major signings were done 30 days um, before. Um, the the season started or, or earlier, so Pellegrini had a full month um, with with his new squad to to shape and mould them in the way that he saw fit, and I think that that ended up being really key um, in the way that City um, ended up winning, you know, a, a league and cup double that season. Last summer, um, the 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 transfer business was done nice and early again, but perhaps the quality of the player wasn't good enough. I think. Um, FFP hindered, hindered City a little bit there, and they had to look at a different type of player, and uh, maybe it didn't suit them. But this time, they again identified the targets nice and early, and uh, and went and got them. And I think that particularly De Bruyne and um, Sterling bring attributes that City badly lacked. Um, I think the the sort of pace and and the uh, the ball carrying ability that Sterling's got. Um, was something that City were crying out for, and he's made a huge difference straight away. And uh, De Bruyne is another one who, who looks to have attributes as well. This kind of, uh, well, the fact that he can shoot from outside the box is a big one because City don't have many of those. Um, and this sort of um, passing ability and 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 control and picking the right option all the time, it is also going to come in very handy as well. Um, so the, the the actual number of players City brought in as senior players, if you if you discount um, um, Enes Unal, who has now gone on loan, and Patrick Roberts, who is obviously a teenager and won't feature much, the number of players who was brought who have been brought in to the first team is actually quite low. But they've made a, a real difference because they're bringing attributes that were, were really missing previously. So it feels like the squad's been revolutionised when, when perhaps it um you know the the changes haven't been been that many. Otamendi also uh, looked very good on his debut for for long periods of that game. He looks like a very uh, aggressive defender, very proactive, always on the front foot. Um, so I think all in all, the window was was a success this time. Uh, without a shadow of a doubt. And obviously, prior to to yesterday, um, City starts this season has been fantastic. You know, first five games, won them all, didn't concede a goal and scored 11. Uh, It was pretty flawless football, really. But uh, yesterday, obviously, was, you know, the first disappointment. And I think, you know, it was, in a way, it was a timely reminder, really, that the Premier League, I know it's a cliche, it's a massive cliche, but it is very, very true that, there aren't many easy games. Certainly, no gimmies in there. That you know, teams don't roll over. And uh, I think any sort of idea, perhaps, that um, anybody had that this was just going to be a title that City kind of strolled towards unchallenged has been has been checked somewhat by um, what was a really good result, a uh, really good performance uh, from West Ham. So I don't think it was the worst. Um, the worst thing in the world that city were given that little wake-up call uh on saturday and uh, i think if if city had played poorly and lost that would have been different mm. but uh, i mean if the, you, the, the last call,
2: 30 minutes were insane
3: it was incredible i mean i haven't seen a game take that shape since the city versus qpr game on the final day of the season in 2012 when mm. city won their first title in 44 years i mean literally the, the ball was so rarely in in cities in city's half of the field that the game was camped in the west ham half it was it was absolutely remarkable i mean 73% possession i think city had 27 shots to west Ham 6 and 19 corners or something and obviously statistics don't necessarily tell you the whole story but they add a bit of colour to what i'm saying which is it was total domination in the second half and City played some really good football. So I think if you take the, the season, you know, the six league games so far as a whole, you, you know, you'd have to say that City have had a, a really fantastic start. I mean, there's a lot of City fans who were very, very down after the result on Saturday. And, uh, you know, we were sort of suggesting City were, were, were not very good at all, but that simply isn't true. I just think that these fans now are, are served up such good football and so many good results that they, they can't handle a defeat. And I think sometimes you've just got to hold your hands up. Sit. There was a combination on Saturday of West Ham defending very, very well. And also riding their luck a little bit. I mean, if you look at, you know, there was a Yaya Tore chance in the second half that was inches past the posts. Adrian's made a phenomenal save one handed save from Otamendi's header. So the, you know, and, and sometimes these things happen and, uh, I wasn't quite as um, down about the result, I don't think, as perhaps some of the other the other City fans uh, were after that game.
2: Well, that's good to hear. I have a question for you that is kind of half fantasy, half real life, which is company missed this one through injury. Mm-hmm. We already know you brought in Otamendi on a big fee. Mangala has looked like the player that you thought you were buying last year. <laughs> He's finally showed up. If everyone's fit, who would you like to see play in which competition? Which which duo, for example, would you like to see in the Premier League? Um,
3: I mean, for me, I mean, I'm going to surprise you. I think here, and everybody will, pretty much everybody will disagree. But on the evidence of what I've seen uh, of Otamendi last season and the the flashes I saw on Saturday, I would certainly suggest he would be a starter. And for me. Martin Dimichelis is the best defender at the club. Now, obviously, he's old or older than than the others, and and there is a pace issue there, which in certain games uh, isn't ideal. But for me, on the ball, he's the best. And in terms of reading the game and talking and organising he is the best. So I mean it's not a I don't think it's a competition specific thing where you can pick a pair in I think it's whoever the opposition is and what whatever threat they offer you try and counter that as best you can but um, it's certainly good that for the first time since the takeover really it feels like there's actually some competition for places at center half because that's been a position where really there's only ever been two sometimes one candidate who is actually playing well and can go in there. Whereas now it feels like, all right, we're not talking about four world-class players are absolutely on top of their game just yet. I think that could be the case at some stage, but for the first time since 2008, it does feel like we've got four who all feel they can be in the side and are all keeping one another on their toes. And I think that that's a great position to be in and it feels
2: quite unusual. Great. Um, moving on to Tottenham. Uh, two wins this week for Tottenham on the back of three goals from heung Son. Uh, so he's obviously done very well uh, in his brief stint with the club thus far. Uh, on Thursday, we beat Quarabog. K- K- something like that. Beat them in the Europa League 3-1. Son scored twice in three minutes. Uh, to take a 2-1 lead after Kyrian Trippier, Tri- ah, man, pronunciation's not my strong suit today. Uh, Kyrian Trippier conceded a penalty uh, in the first 10 minutes of that match, which which was not something that you wanted to see. And uh, you know, this season thus far, I've been very uh, much in the Trippier and Rose should be starting. And this Europa League match was a perfect example of why I'm wrong. Um, neither of them played particularly well, and so it wasn't surprising. That neither uh, retained their place come the weekend. Um, people that did retain their place, both Della Ali and Hyung-min son, who performed excellently, uh, uh, both both on Thursday and and on Sunday. Uh, we saw a very tenacious Crystal Palisade who kind of were masters of the bend but don't break philosophy for about seventy minutes, where we just we just couldn't find that that last pass to give ourselves a really solid chance. Uh, until Christian Eriksen came on, and then after 117 seconds, and with his first touch, he played Sun through on the left, who uh, scored by uh, Megging Alex McCarthy in goal, which was a very uh, exciting moment to both see Eriksen back, to see him mix with Youngman Sun so well, and to see Sun really kind of keep that calm, which is something that's been lacking a little bit from Kane's game. It seems that he's he's very uh, a little, maybe a little too urgent to score where you kind of need to let it come to you and he's trying to force the issue at the moment. He had an excellent chance for a header in the first five minutes. Uh, just a wide open header that he just skied. Uh, so hopefully he'll be able to uh, get back to that soon. But it is very comforting seeing how how good heung son has been in front of goal knowing that if Kane continues to struggle we do have a second option there. I know a lot of people are all already hyping on the Kane was a one season wonder thing. And that's fine. It was a it was a short sample size. Everybody has the right to do that. I personally think that it has more to do with the pressure of doing it than him losing that ability. You already see him talking to Alan Shearer, talking to Wayne Rooney, trying to sort this thing out. And like I said, I, I think he just needs to let the opportunities come to him. And having a player like Christian Eriksen back to sit behind you to kind of create those opportunities. Because... A lot of people are blaming Kane for all these missed chances, but most of them are half chances. Yes, the one today was a a free header. You need to do better from there, uh, from about 10 yards out. But having Erickson there to just constantly hand-feed you the ball, um, (laughs) foot-feed you, whatever, I digress. Um, And then having Sun on there. Chadley was a little ineffective today. LaMela, I really don't want to speak too much about with Thursday and today. It's very hard to categorize what he does on the pitch, which is a mixture of... Incredible effectiveness immediately followed by inefficacy, by either running into a player or falling down or misplacing a pass. Um, he, he's constantly good 65% of the time, if that makes any sense. Uh, but having this kind of young group all growing together is great. Dela Ali, I mentioned, had a great match today. I know a lot of people are already hyping him a lot. His name's already getting mentioned in England circles of like, look at how great this guy uh, could be. Uh, I think Gary Lineker sent out a couple of tweets in regards to that as well. Um, yes, Dele Ali is a very talented young player. Needs to grow in a team aspect. Individually, he's incredible. 19 years old, looks completely unfazed by the Premier League, looks really good. Uh, just, I- I'm worried about all the hype we're putting on him, especially considering his kind of dual position. Uh, that we're using him as where we're kind of using him as the primary backup for ericsson but when ericsson plays or we played lamela in, in that quote-unquote ten role pushing him further back into central midfield there are going to be growing pains just like jim mentioned with jamie vardy young players consistency is the problem right if they had that consistency and played at their peak all the time then they'd be you know in that top ten players in the world status they're not they're all growing they're building love della ali he should be getting some recognition Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sorry, Kev, before we move on, do you mind if I just ask you? the um, We did talk off air a couple of weeks back mm. about, um, about Saido Berahina. I know I said I weren't going to talk about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I've just thought about the... Um, I'm I'm part of the Albion Assembly where we all meet right, right. up and, and discuss things with, with the club and um we had a, a about eighty minutes worth of chat with our technical director, um Richard Garlic, and and for probably about 20, 30 minutes ago he was talking about the Berhino saga. Did you watch that at all?
2: Or- I did, I did, and I, I talked with James a little bit about this, but I would be interested to get your take. The thing that we kept hearing. And the thing that that tasted a lie to me, frankly, was this repetitive comment that we didn't leave you time to find a replacement when you'd already brought in two replacements.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think I get that. I, that's that's a fair point. Um, you didn't leave us any time to get in a pri- replacement should we have needed to have got one in. I right, think, but like you only sold Brownie I Day
2: think, when it yeah, looked like I, Barahino I would go. Is,
1: yeah, I think I think the point is, if we had have sold Berahino, then we would have probably strengthened the other areas of the team. So it would have been a case of it's fair, it's, it's great having the money available to, it's great having the money available to spend, but we haven't got it. So the Berahino money would oh, have been. Oh,
2: so they they kept but, implying that the replacement wasn't forward, but you are saying you would have probably added wing-backs yeah, for starters. Yeah, we
1: put Yeah, we. <laughs>
2: We we play uh we play a left midfielder
1: at left back and we play a centre back at right back but that's that's Tony Pulis and and that's a completely different issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I've just just got a question for um, well, just a bit of a comment really for Rob that it's refreshing to hear his comments um about City and accepting that sometimes you're going to lose games in the Premier League because they're all they're all really tough games. I was a bit disappointed to hear that um. Not not massively, but there were boos at, at the end of the game at at, um, at the Etihad Stadium, and it's just frustrating to hear that. Although that would have been a small minority, and you know frustrations have been at the game, but I just don't think there's any need to boo your team after the start Man City have had. It's ridiculous that anybody should even entertain booing one bad performance. I just we just need to get away from the fact that these footballers are human beings and not robots and, and that they will occasionally fail in their tasks of winning a football match and it's to be accepted and you just move on to the next one. As long as it's not happening every week for a club of Manchester City size, it's not a problem. Um, I'm just, I'm just sick of fickle supporters everywhere.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was, it's, it is absurd. I mean, Navas in particular was booed yesterday. Um, I mean, I'm sure this is a thing at every club, but I have noticed at City down the years, there's always a boo-boy. Now, when we were in the doldrums in Division 2, the boo-boy was somebody who was awful at football, whereas now City are incredibly good. The boo-boy is a World Cup winner. It just, it's yeah. outrageous, really. And um, I just... There's also, I mean, this was a a topic for another podcast because I feel it's too long and it would take me too long to explain in detail, but there is a new breed of fan at the club, um, which was obviously quite easy to predict as soon as the takeover happened and success was almost guaranteed. There's a new breed of fan who weren't there um, sort of 20 years ago when I was walking through the side streets of Moss Side, going to games and watching us get turned over by Stockport and Macclesfield. And they don't seem to have the same... Uh, sensibilities as I do in terms of what I you know what they appreciate about the game and what I do and I think it would be people like that who would have been booing city's first defeat in the league. In six games at the After start of the having season, having
2: 27 shots and dominating every yeah. aspect, yeah,
3: and and we're still top at the end of the game. You know, <laughs> at the end of the weekend, City is still top of the table, and there were a few idiots booing. I mean, it is—it's just absolutely outrageous.
1: Can you see what you're saying because it's although it's we're at a different level compared to you. We we have progressed to that over the last few years, and there are some baggies fans that only know what what they've seen over the last ten years, which would be the majority of winning the championship or being in the Premier League. And, and it is so frustrating when I have to think back of, of, to the 90s and some of the football that I watched that was absolutely atrocious or being a, a younger lad. You know, I, I just think it's crazy that football nowadays is just so... Everyone's so quick to jump on it. But, yeah, like you say, I think it's a, a topic for a whole new podcast
2: (laughs) (laughs) all right well the one that we're actually talking about mentioned a little bit earlier we're going to talk about West Ham and no Sean isn't on here and no he hasn't pressured me into doing this but they're currently sitting very high up the table you know no one expected them to be in third last year they started the season very well uh and we have two people on that have played them recently so I was curious specifically to get your opinions Jim and Rob on what worked in in their win against Manchester City and what didn't work in their loss against Leicester. And can we make any sense of what this team is going forward? I think with the Leicester
0: game, um, it was... I mean, the first thing to say is that it it was a a game of very fine margins. Um, They didn't disgrace themselves at all. I mean, we scored a couple of very, very good goals, but they had their fair share of chances in that game. And, you know up until the um, Adrian sending off at the end, when they'd already made their three substitutions. Um, I think Jenkinson went in goal after that. Um, you know, it was a very even game. I think, I know we've mentioned it previously, actually, but I think part of it is their ability to go away and play what Slav and Bilic wants, the, the type of football Slav and Bilic wants to play. or certainly feels more comfortable playing, which is, sitting slightly on the back foot and letting the opposition attack them and then hitting them with the pace. You know, they've got people like Victor Moses, uh, Sacco isn't slow. They've got pace in the team. And with um, Payet as well, you know, he's that midfield driving force that is going to not only create you goals, but score you goals as well. You saw um, in the Newcastle game where they they won on Monday night, um, him get one from the edge of the area and then tear forward and get onto the rebound. Um, after they'd hit the bar so I think they are kind of the quintessential team that are enjoying that kind of will sit back and let the opposition attack us and the the scalps that they've taken indicate that just as much as anything else you know they've been to some big teams and they've won um, and they haven't done it by going all guns blazing Um they're perfectly adept at sitting back as we saw yesterday. And yes, they rode their luck a little bit yesterday with the Manchester City game, but you have to against teams like City. You can't expect to be standing pound for pound and toe-to-toe with them, which some teams will try and do and they'll get turned over four or five nil. Um, And they probably could have quite easily won that game if they'd have gone for a third goal yesterday. But they recognise the situation that when De Bruyne scored um, the first goal for City, maybe it wasn't the time to go gung-ho and try and nick one, you know, the whole time. The game is to sit back Um, on the back foot and pick your spots. Um, They've got the pace to hit them on the break. Uh, They've got a lead to protect. And they're they're quite a solid defensive unit, especially now Adrian's back in goal. I think they're a million times more confident than when they had Randolph in goal over the last few games, although they did win a couple of them. Um, I think he is a a big cornerstone for them um, at the back. So they're perfectly happy to sit back and spring out and take their chances when they get them, which I think is why they've been able to go to so many big teams this year already and and get three points which are pretty unexpected.
3: Um from my point of view I've seen the three away games um that they've played and they they're very much built to 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 play away from home in the sense that um they pack the midfield so they deny the home side um you know space to kind of play and uh, they've got a lot of pace going forward on the break and they've got a couple of players like noble and Dimitri Pyat, who are capable of of finding players who are um uh, running through at pace so they look set up to do very well i mean obviously i'm not saying they're set up to win um you know every away game in in the manner that they have i think they've they've certainly punched above their weight but in theory they they look very much set up to to do that and uh They've also, they've just got some very good players. I mean, Payat is a very interesting one um, because he, for me, is a symbol and there's a couple of other players. I think Vine Aldum at Newcastle and Andre Ayew at uh, Swansea are kind of symbols of this newfound wealth of the Premier League. Yeah. So the new television deal means that even the bottom club in the Premier League this year is going to be walking away in, in terms of money um, with more than nearly every other club in Europe, other than a handful of the absolute super rich elite. And you're going to start seeing this effect. There's going to be a trickle-down effect where players of that quality are going to end up playing for teams that you know would traditionally fall outside of the top six. And um, I think that's going to be quite interesting to watch. Uh, I don't think Europe's elite clubs have quite cottoned on to the level of wealth in the Premier League at the moment and how it's going to affect them. And um, so, yeah, I mean, when West Ham are lining up with a player of that quality, I mean, he was Marseille's best player. His his statistics in terms of chance creation last season were absolutely phenomenal. Europe-wide, there was hardly a player who could claim to have contributed to more goals than him. And, he, and he's transferred that to his time at West Ham. I mean, he wasn't even particularly great against City yesterday, but he was a moment towards the end sort of three or four minutes to go. West Ham are obviously absolutely been clinging on at this stage for dear life. He gets the ball, takes a couple of players on, keeps it in the corner or whatever. And you just think, wow, you know, they've really found themselves a a quality player. And obviously the more of those you have, the more chance you've got. So I look at West Ham and I think that they're not a great side, but they've certainly got the tools Um, to hurt people and that's what exactly what they are doing at the moment and I also think they've got a manager who is the kind of manager who is going to get a lot out of his players he he strikes me as one of those that that they're going to be desperate to play well for He's incredibly likable I mean his press conference at City yesterday was absolutely fantastic I mean it really was He, he lit up the room as soon as he came in and you know, he was charismatic. He was entertaining. He was likable. He was intelligent. He, he spoke thoughtfully. Um, so I think that he, you know, if he if he can ride the crest of this wave, I don't, I, mean, I don't know what tactically. I don't know whether he's the most astute. I, mean, I, I need to sort of have time to weigh him up more. But he does strike me as one of those managers who is going to get a lot out of his players. And um, I don't know. I think uh, West Ham looked pretty well placed to sort of challenge for that sort of, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth sort of category. And uh, I think it's the I think it's a combination of their pace on the break and um, the fact that they've got some goals in the squad. You know, they've actually got options in the striker department, which I think is very important in the Premier League. And uh, like I say, a couple of players who can f- play through balls and long balls and stuff that can find these players uh, in some space. And I, I think they'll do okay.
2: From there to a more inclusive things about our actual clubs. Uh, if everybody would just take a couple minutes and talk to us about how your new signings have settled in. Are they performing well and has their impact changed where you think you may finish this season? We'll start off with Jim and Lester. I know you mentioned Grokan Endler there a little bit more. Uh, Christian Fuchs is somebody that a lot of people were excited about. Not really done much. How how on the whole have your signings done? Um. It's
0: been kind of a mixed bag. It's difficult because some of them haven't played very much at all, so it's very difficult to judge some of the quote-unquote bigger signings that we made. Uh, so if you look at um, Johan Benalune from uh, Atalanta that we bought in, we, I mean, we paid €7 million Euro for him, um, and he's barely kicked a ball for us, uh, which probably speaks more about the fact that we've got a relatively settled defence, which... Um, Carlo has looked at and thought mm, don't really want to change that at the moment we've started off really well in the in the season and he doesn't necessarily want to change um the lineup of that back four which is totally understandable given the way that we started the season so we haven't seen much of him we won't ca- count Huth as a new signing because I mean we knew all about him from the first a uh, few months of his loan spell from Stoke anyway he, he's a rock at centre back although he didn't have the best game yesterday he's going to be you know, a big part of us kicking on to that next level um, and hopefully avoiding a relegation dogfight like we had last year. Um, Christian Fuchs, we've barely seen kick a ball. We'll probably see more. If we've got West Ham on uh, Tuesday night in the Capital One Cup, so he'll probably get a full 90 minutes then. That'll give us probably more of a, a barometer of where he's at in terms of his quality because hopefully, although there'll be changes, West Ham will put out a team which are kind of more comparable to the Premier League team that he might be facing if he comes in um, at fullback. Jeff Slup's pretty much keeping him out of the team, to be honest, at the moment. Um, so it'll be good to see him get a run out. Ungolo Kante is probably my highlight signing of the of the summer so far. He's been absolutely brilliant. He kind of like Pyatt actually was very much under my radar because I don't watch as much French football as I probably should. Um and Especially the, this transfer window where half the
2: players came from France. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, to be fair, we have a very, very good transfer policy um, recruiting from France. So if you look at uh, some of our kind of big success stories um, in the last kind of 18 months, two years, going back to three years, you look at Anthony Knockart, who came into the club um, from Guinea, who were in the second tier at that point before they got promoted to Ligue 1. Uh, he was very, very good, and he was kind of one of our better players in the Championship promotion season. It never really worked out for him in the Premier League, um, and he's gone now to play, standard, play for Standard Liège. So he's playing at a really good level. Um, Riyad Morez was four hundred thousand pounds
2: from La Havre, who again in the second tier of the, the French oh. league. So I mentioned scab- to you, I mentioned to you uh, off off the podcast that every time I hear his name or he does something good, I just get so angry. Because yeah. during the off season, early on, you were like, you know, Tottenham, you know, you could probably have him for about six to eight million. So yeah, I was like oh, I that's so. interesting. He could probably be friends with Bentaleb. That would be cool. Eh, not worried about it. We should have yeah. been worried about it.
0: Yeah, he he was flying very much under the radar. Um, I think for a lot of teams, he'd had a few mentions and stuff. Um, but the fact of the matter was he wasn't paid that much money. We signed him for four hundred thousand. If somebody would have come in and offered us, you know, eight million on our investment, why not? We probably would have let him go, to be honest, because I'm not sure we knew quite the level of consistency that he was going to be able to put down there. And now he's got a new contract, four years, you know, so you're probably looking at twice, maybe three times that quote when you're looking at another year and the, the type of club he's now being linked with. Um, you know his agents publicly come out this week and said we're not thinking about Barcelona, we're not thinking about Arsenal. I said, Good, should be thinking about Leicester. But <laughs> you know, what I mean, you know that kind of club, it, it's bound to happen. You know, he is he's in a red hot streak of form. I'm not expecting him to knock twenty goals in this season. Um, it, there might be a stage where he gets to kind of Christmas and doesn't score for six or seven weeks, um, maybe more, which is just the way of his game. Um, when he's hot, he's hot, and when he's not, he's not. But you know, I digress. Um, N'Golo Kante getting back to my original point um, looks a hell of a player I mean he's very very slight Um, his build is not one you'd think would be equipped for the Premier League especially in a central midfield role he looks very lightweight just to look at him Um, but he is a terrier his his tackling is brilliant he made the most successful tackles in, in League One last year which you know is a good stat and one which we're all happy to bandy around, but he has brought that in and he's hit the ground running. Uh, he's got a huge engine, so he gets he covers every blade of grass, every blade of grass, every, every game, um, and he really is that kind of driving workforce behind the likes of Gokhan Inler if, they, if he wants to strive forward, or it allows Danny Drinkwater to go forward and get into situations like. Um, the game against Stoke, where he wins as a penalty on the edge of the opposition area instead of worrying about tracking back because he's got this kind of almost seemingly energy-filled kind of terrier behind him who can just snap at the heels of anyone who kind of breaks away, which is fantastic. So we're really pleased with him. I think he's going to nail down a centre-back spot, uh, a centre-midfield spot, sorry, in the the kind of next six weeks. And I I really don't see how um, Carlo can leave him out because... He he is he's proving himself to be an integral part of that team, and every time he comes off the bench, he has a really positive impact on the game. Um, apart from that, there isn't a huge amount. Shinji Okazaki, I suppose up front, we should talk about him a little bit. He's had a relatively uh, low key start to the season. He had a really good first game where he looked in tandem with Jamie Vardy. Um, they're almost two peas in a pod in the sense that they'll run all day and they'll pressure defenders. So in terms of playing that high pressing game. Um, he's ideal for that and at the end of the day he's keeping our leading scorer from last season Leo Joa, out of the team for the most part and he's also keeping Andre Kramerich out of the team who we've heard nothing from this year and again he's one of those players that we're looking forward to seeing on Tuesday night against West Ham um, he's barely had a run out but for me you know, he was probably the most promising forward coming into this season and he's done absolutely nothing so whether it's an attitude problem whether it's a uh, a lack of energy in training, or you know, whether the, the the new coach doesn't like the look of him very much, you know, but he, he's obviously got a high functioning set of attributes because Chelsea were in in for him when we were in for him. So yeah. if that's any guide, then he, he has definitely got ability. But we're we're yet to see him um, play much this year. So in terms of the new signings yet, yeah, it's been a mixed bag. Inler, as I said, has looked pretty kind of hit and miss. Um, He looks great coming off the substitute bench, but when he starts the game, he seems to be a little bit short on match fitness still. So maybe N'Golo Kante and Danny Drinkwater are the solution for now until he feels that he's kind of up to speed and has had um, the equivalent of a full preseason. And then we can have those three fighting for, for two central midfield spots.
2: If I had to press you for a place in the table where you think you'll end up?
0: I would be happy with... To be fair, I'd be happy with another 14th place finish if we finish there. I, I know we've started really well this year, but I'd be happy if you gave me 14th again. I think a lot of the fans are now looking towards a, a kind of top half finish being the, the goal. Um, maybe more so than six weeks ago when, again, I think a lot of them would have said the same as I've just said. Um, a top half would be fantastic. People are talking about Europe and stuff, but that's probably another season away. If only for our infrastructure and our ability to cope with that kind of thing, you know, we've seen the huge drain that Europa League and Champions League football brings to British teams and how they suffer kind of playing Thursday, uh, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, week in, week out. Um, I, I would probably think 10th, 9th would be fantastic. Um, throw a bit at the cup run, maybe, and then push on next year, and then we can have that kind of next step up where we are trying to compete with your Swanses, your Everton's, and mm. you know West Ham, maybe even this year, as as Robert said, kind of kicking on towards that eighth, ninth right. um, spot of uh, for the for the Europa League in, in sixth and seventh. So that's if the the coefficient means that we still keep all those <laughs> places. on Still not sure
2: how that all works. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a topic for another day. Yeah, but definitely. happy with fourteenth, but looking further up the table. Yeah, I would I would love fourteenth, but I you know realistically
0: I think a lot of people are now looking at tenth as being the kind of the, right. the the milestone
2: they want to reach this year. Yeah. All right, and Dan, uh, quickly, you made some interesting moves bringing in Solomon Rondón, very highly rated. You brought in Johnny Evans to short the back with the the departure of. Uh, own idea. No. Jolien Lescott. Yeah. he <laughs> uh, <laughs> goes over to Aston Villa. He's your very own personal soul Campbell. We're not there to talk about him. We're going to talk about your incomings. How impressed have you been with your two new signings? I would just like to say
1: quickly, Jolien Lescott was a fantastic player for the Albion. Albion. Um, and it's a shame that he's moved on. I can understand why the club have got rid of him um, with, a, with a year left on his contract and, and his age and, and the fact that He's going towards uh, the end of his career, um, and he's not had the best of starts. at Aston Villa, bless him. Um, and brown i Day gone to Olympiacos and he was he was coming up against Bayern Munich the other night, which was uh, it was it was good to watch, and he nearly got himself a goal, which would have been nice. Um, both go with my best wishes, to be honest. So I hope I wish them both good luck. Um, in terms of players that we've we've brought in, we've we've signed James McLean from Wigan Athletic, who tries really hard um and that's not i'm not i'm that's not me like a backhanded compliment at all um he really does give everything every every minute that he's on that pitch he gives everything you've got all the other stuff that comes with it, a poppy debate and, and he's you know all, all that nonsense that comes with it i'll get that and i get the fans fans around the country have been booing him home fans when we've been away from home and away fans when we're at the Hawthorns funds have been booing him and and you know if 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 I want to do that, that's fair enough. Um, I don't want to talk politics when it comes to to one of our footballers. Um, if he scores goals for us, then I'm happy, happy for him to to stay. And um, if he wears a shirt with pride, you know, he looks fairly useful. I wouldn't say he's a top class Premier League winger, but you know, if if he can whip in a few crosses and and um, help Brunt and help McManaman, you know, with with the assists, then I'll be happy with that. Um, in terms of Defensive reinforcements. We signed James Chester for a rather exotic fee of eight million pound.
2: Yeah, uh, pretty close to what we paid for Alderweireld, but obviously extenuating circumstances. Very, I'm not saying he's not worth that, but the fact that
1: we paid eight million pound for a player, which would be the third highest we've ever paid for a player in in our history, um, I'd expect him to be in the starting eleven. So. He's not at the moment not sure why that is not sure whether peerists has seen something in him since signing as to why he's not really featuring um and maybe that's why we went and signed Johnny Evans as well um but we'll we'll just see how that one develops um Ricky Lambert good signing we will get goals this season. I'm sure he'll probably get six or seven um and he's always reliable if Barrohino's not on the field from the penalty spot uh and as you mentioned Solomon Rondon or Jose Solomon Rondon for his for his full name um and I think Wait, I just really
2: I don't think yeah. I knew that at all
1: <laughs> <laughs> going back to what Rob said about um some of the lesser sides in the Premier League being able to attract players um and that was one thing that the technical director sp- to spoke about when we were having those discussions the other week that um that Rondon is a t- type of player that two years ago, we would never even have been able to look at, to be honest with you. He scored one in two throughout his career. And we've signed him from uh, what what compared to us, he's a European superpower. You know, Zenit St. Petersburg are a very, very good side. It's it's just, it's a great signing for us. Um, and he will come good. He's got one goal so far in a team that doesn't score a lot of goals. Um, and I can expect he'll get maybe 10 or 12 this season. His link up pay is very good. He's not slow at all. He's not the fastest, but he's not slow at all. He keeps defenders thinking because his movement's really good, um, and he's very good at winning the ball in the air. He, he, he is the kind of all-round forward that you need in any situation. You could start him against any team in the Premier League, and he could he could fit his style into to being able to match up against their defence. Um, and I think he'll he'll definitely score a few goals this season. And, and twelve million pounds, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of money, but it's a going right now, isn't it, for a footballer? Of his quality, um, and then the the three players that I just want to round this up with um, are uh, well, we, we seem to be turning to Man United reserves at the moment. Um, Anders Lindegard, who, who's a very good goalkeeper, um, and he's you know he's going to be our backup keeper by the looks of it. So you know we've signed him to sit on the bench. It's a very good option to have, or a very good keeper to be able to call upon. Um and Johnny Evans and, and of course Fletcher resigned in January. But Johnny Evans, um, two two games for the for the club so far, very assured, um, very composed. If of course he plays international football with Macaulay already, so that partnership was already there, um, and they know each other very well. So he, he's just sliding into the side as if he's played for us for the last ten years. Um yeah, so I'm I'm just hoping that his form goes on. And for six million pounds really, um, which is less than we played for Chester, um, you've got no complaints whatsoever. Um, You know, if if you'd have asked United fans maybe at the start of last season whether they'd rather get rid of of Chris Smalling or whether they'd rather get rid of um, Johnny Evans, I think the question, it would would have been we'd rather see Smalling leave, I think. Um, But of course, he's kicked on and had a really great year, which has allowed us to go and sign um, one of the better centre-backs in the league. and, And, you know, He can only bode bode well for a team of our size that we can sign players of that ilk.
2: Thanks, Dan. Rob, we talked about them a little bit at the top. We already talked about Otamendi and De Bruyne and Sterling. Uh, How have you felt that they've all settled into the club? And do you think they'll be able to really help you reach that that title that surely you're pushing for?
3: Uh, They've, I mean, Sterling is the one who's played the most so far. Um, He's not actually had a, a game where he's been outstanding, but just by just him being there, Um, Has made a massive difference. He's balanced the side for a start. I think that with Navas wide right um, and him wide left, it's given City a twin threat down the flanks, and it gave it's given David Silva more room in the middle, and that's been huge. Obviously, his pace is is a real threat, uh, and he can take players on, which I think he's he's just what City needed really. Um, So I think there was a lot made of the forty four million pound. Uh, rising to 49 million based on various add-ons there was a lot made that perhaps that was too much but I was very much of the mind before the deal was done that there there was no other I certainly hadn't seen a, a player of who was 20 who had shown that much consistent quality that, that he had um, I mean you know, he just, he's looked very good for, for quite a sustained period of time. And I think that people forget sometimes how old he is and City have bought a player there who could perhaps be um, very good for them um, over a very long period of time. Delft's been obviously the unfortunate one because I think that that was a very clever move uh, on behalf of the club. Not necessarily just a box ticker either. I think he's been a player over the last two, two and a half years who's been on a v- very much on an upward trajectory. Um Fantastic for Villa last season, loads of energy, which again City were, were missing a little bit in the middle of the park. And for eight million pound, they'd have been mad to turn it down. But he's really struggled with injuries so far, and he's 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 barely kicked a ball, which has been really unfortunate. Otamendi, I think, is a great signing. He looks he looks very much made for the league. I mean, he can never. I hate predicting transfers. I think. You know, there's so many factors involved in football that predicting the outcome of a transfer is nigh on impossible. I I always cite Torres going to Chelsea, Angaldi Maria to United, Juan Sebastian Verón to United as ones of great examples of how you cannot predict a transfer. Because they were three who you just felt were absolutely tailor-made at the time and there was no way they could fail. And of course, they were all pretty spectacular failures um and then the final uh, big name um to come in is de bruyne who obviously came a bit later i mean he he came on as a as a sub against uh, crystal palace and looked absolutely superb his passing was just outrageously good and yesterday against west ham he was the one true um bright spot for city in what was you know quite a frustrating afternoon i mean he was sensational it was it was fantastic uh, performance he, he constantly wanted the ball his first touch is one of the most beautiful and natural first touches I think I've ever seen and his ability to play through balls that are weighted perfectly is is really really incredible and um, I think he will be on the evidence of what I've seen in the in the couple of appearances I've seen so far, he looks like an, a phenomenal signing and uh, I'm very, very excited to watch him up close this season.
2: All right, now now the big question, are they enough to win you the title?
3: I think so, yeah, I mean, um, I think, you know, last season was a, a disappointment obviously and uh, there was a feeling perhaps that pace was needed, youth was needed and a freshening up was needed. Um, I think the the core of the team that had been put in place that won City their first, uh, well, their third title in the history of the club, but their first in recent times, um, had perhaps been allowed to go stale and not enough had been added around that to to keep it fresh. And I think that the the little splurge, well, not little, it's quite a substantial splurge that the club have gone on this year has kind of reinvigorated um that a little bit and uh, i think city have definitely i would look at city and say they've got the best uh, squad and the and uh, the best starting 11 and therefore uh, in theory should should win the league in my opinion
2: yeah it's hard to argue against that especially with chelsea probably having the second best you know player by player squad and obviously the doldrums of a relegation fight um so yeah, I think many people would agree that City are the favorites this season. Uh, for Tottenham, we, we obviously did a lot of business this summer. Uh, I'm going to kind of return to the two that I mentioned at the very beginning of the show. Uh, hyung win son and Della Ali have both been very good. Yes, Della Ali was technically brought in in January, but then immediately loaned back to MK Don. So we're really getting our first taste of, of what he can bring for us. And... Yeah, I I am trying to kind of kill the hype a little bit just because it's so easy to build people up and then tear them down. We're seeing it happen with Kane right now. But is he incredibly talented for a 19-year-old? Yes. Uh, We heard this summer, and and I did have high hopes for him coming into the season just because we heard over the summer that he was outdoing Nabil Bentaleb in training, and Nabil Bentaleb got his start at 19 because of how hard he trained. And Sherwood and Pochettino are are both very big on on, uh, training performance, translating to on- Pitch performance, which is why Soldado had as many chances as he did. Because apparently he's another kind of training warrior. Uh, so we, we knew he could be good. I'm not sure we knew he could be this good. And I'm not expecting him to be this good going forward, Del Ali, that is. Uh, but he's done incredibly well for us. And I'm very impressed by what he's done, as I mentioned before as well, in two different positions. hyung Son came out of the blue. It was kind of similar to the Nasser Chadley signing two years ago, where you don't hear anything about it. Then you hear something about it, and in the next two days, he's already at the club. It was like, well, you know, in an era where, you know, these transfers can take a large, large time. I know, Jim, you mentioned the Gokhan Inler thing. That dragged on long enough that he's not really fit enough uh, to the to the standard you'd expect. But Sun came at kind of out of nowhere from Leverkusen. Uh, we were looking for a whole lot of wingers. His name never cropped up. Uh, he shows up, obviously, as I mentioned before, three goals in two matches this week. Uh, again, not, don't want to put that much pressure on him and don't want to blame him for the failings that we had had previously, uh, not expecting him to fix everything, but he he is immediately our best winger and is, yes, our second best striker, but arguably right now our best striker, so how we're going to kind of use him throughout the multiple competitions will definitely be interesting, especially, you know, we, we don't get a, an easy one this week. We, we play Arsenal on Wednesday and then, uh, Rob, we play your team, Man City. Uh, next weekend, I think on Saturday it is. Um, so that's that's a very tough time for us. Other signings we made, Kieran Trippier hasn't seen uh, the pitch in the Premier League, wasn't particularly great in Europa League, as I mentioned earlier, uh, conceding the penalty at the very beginning of that Europa League match. Toby Alderweireld, obviously an incredible signing. <laughs> I was talking to Seifu earlier, that's our uh, editor slash producer. About last January, we were really excited about getting Winston Reed in. Like, really excited. And he did play well against Manchester City. But us not really pursuing that deal led to the vacancy that led to Toby Alderworld coming in. And that has obviously been the best way that any of that could have happened. Pairing him with Jan Vertonghen has immediately shored up our defense. Already have three clean sheets in the last three matches. Uh, Last season we had nine all season. So to have that many through week six is, is very promising for us. And, you know, it's it's a very exciting time for Tottenham. Whether or not we're going to get to, you know, the the lofty heights of a top four battle, I'm not even sure of that. Uh, We have a whole lot of young talent that are coming through. Oh, forgot Clinton in G, or in G Clinton, or just Clinton. Still not sure how we're supposed to deal with that. Uh, Very pacey uh, from Lyon. We've talked about him a couple times. Hasn't really done much. Came on for about 10 minutes in each of the last two matches. Looks very pacey, looks pretty tenacious as well, but haven't seen much of him going into attack, so won't really speak to his abilities there. All in all, where do I think that leaves Tottenham? I still think top seven is absolutely fine. I I do think that our sights are a little more heavily set in Europa League. Uh, Just with some comments Hugo Lloris and Mauricio Pochettino have said about, you know, we're not in this competition to say we're in this competition, we're in it to win it. Uh, which is something we haven't really sensed since AVB left, who is obviously the king of Europa League football. So all in all, top seven, a deep Europa League run, not expecting much in the Capital One Cup because, as I mentioned, we play Arsenal. Uh, maybe an FA Cup run would be nice. But all in all, not, not putting too much pressure on this year. I think the most important thing is developing and cultivating all of this young talent that we already have at the club because we're going to lean on them pretty heavily to carry us through the stadium building years. I've joked a couple times on this show before and on the Fantasy Pod as well that, you know, building a stadium knocked Arsenal from title winners to top four trophy celebrators. What's it going to do to us when we can't get into the top four? Uh, so having all this young talent, we're probably not going to have a whole lot of buying power. Uh, so having all this young talent like Ali and Benteleb and Mason and hopefully Townsend can get his act together and Lamela and Erickson and Son. Getting all of those guys together and, and growing at the same time, I think, is going to be how we try to get by uh, through what will probably be pretty lean times financially. So, all in all, impressed by most of our signings. Sad that Trippier hasn't mattered. Uh, excited to see more of NG and most impressed with uh Aldo world's son and um, Della Ali. And with that, we are out of time. So, if you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you'd like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time.
0: Thanks for listening guys. I've been Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. Uh, you can find me at jim 88 on Twitter. I also do a lot of writing for Goal.com where I'm the chief betting editor. Um, some stuff for WheelOfBetting.co.uk as well. Um, so if you want to go to either of those, you can find my ramblings there. Um, I'll just give a, a quick shout out to um a, a podcast that I've previously been involved with um called We Are Going Up. It's a football league podcast. So if you want to get the kind of heads up on the teams that are snapping at the heels of the Premier League relegation zone, the teams that are gonna be coming up next year, then uh, give them a listen. There's some really cool insight there into it, the teams that you might be playing next year.
1: Cheers for listening. I've been Dan from the uh, from a Twitter account, Baggies Facts. You can check out my work. Um over at uh, theeaglesbeak.com, whom I'm going to be writing for this year. Um, And hopefully I'll be able to update you all um, very soon on some more projects that I'll be doing. So cheers for listening.
3: Yeah, thanks for listening and thanks for having me on. Um, I'm Rob Pollard. I am the Bleach Report's Manchester City correspondent. I also contribute to the Manchester Evening News um squawker and mirror football and i'm also the editor of typical city which is a manchester city online fanzine so if you'd like to check out any of my work you can do so at all of those places
2: yeah and i am your host kevin Devries at kevroff on twitter if you like to read my writings i do weekly previews for fantasy over on blog.playtaga.com where i cover tottenham crystal palace and sunderland so if you like those clubs or have players from those clubs on your team, please check that out. I also have a weekly article that goes up on TheEaglesBeak.com discussing uh, player price points and who, who would be advised to bring in and out of your squad. Uh, heads up, I thought Graziano Pelle was going to be awful this week, and he scored two goals. So take that uh, <laughs> with a grain of salt. But it's definitely a, a solid thing to look at to just give you a little bit of an idea of what you, you can expect heading into the fantasy week. If you're also looking for more fantasy stuff, we do the FPL Roundtable that comes out through this audio stream. So try to check that out. If not, we do tweet it out, hosting me and Rob Langevin of Razzball. So uh, if you would like to hear about more fantasy stuff, you can do that. And as always, hosting this, you can listen to this on Monday and Friday morning. So thanks for doing that. And thanks so much to you guys for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.